before we uh, start talking to our guest, it was 1858. It was the Republican State Convention and Abraham Lincoln uh, was getting up to speak. Now, he wasn't even thought about as the next president. Uh, And he looked to Christ for answers. And he told the delegates at the convention that America was about to collapse. And he chose the words of Christ, the metaphor about how a house divided against itself can't stand. Lincoln's friends, his advisors, everybody said, you can't say that. It's too radical, too politically incorrect, as if they would have said that back then. But Lincoln said, and if I can quote, I wanted to strike home to the minds of men in order to rouse them to the peril of the times, end quote. So he gave the speech House Divided. And after he gave that line, he said, I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect that it will cease to be divided. It will become all of one thing or all the other. That was two years before the Civil War. In America, we need to stop and look at that broken America then because it resembles a lot of the America that we live in today. Maybe we have it worse. Maybe we don't. I don't know. Can you imagine Joe Biden trying to give that speech? Just a few days ago, he called himself, um, you know, the leader of all the country. And yet he called half the country extremists. Today's guest has taken a stand in defense of the nation. In his latest editorial for The Blaze, he wrote that abortion is as important to Democrats in blue states today as slavery was to Democrats in southern states prior to the Civil War. His writing and his commentary has appeared on The Root, The Federalist, Newsweek. He is a contributor to Blaze TV's Fearless with Jason Whitlock. He's a scholar at 1776 Unites and the founder of the Civitas Consulting Group, which focuses on building strong communities by offering STEM K-12 programs, job training for adults, and uh, tech resources for lower-income families. He has, he has uh, led a life that has quite a bit of experience Uh, In the government, 14 years, he served as the project coordinator at the office of the chief technology officer. Then as the director, executive director at Connect D.C., which connects residents of Washington, D.C. with technology. But his most important job is the one that he says is the toughest job on earth. Being a dad today on the Glenn Beck podcast. Delano Squires. You know, most people, when you interrogate them, they fold like a cheap suit. (laughs) Not this guy. You can strap me down to the chair and swing that bright light into my face. And I say, oh, showtime. You could ask me to reveal state secrets all day long. I'll probably tell you, but I will not be sweating. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll break. (laughs) So fast, but you'll never see me sweat. Why? Because I just started using the sweat block wipes at night. I've been using their deodorant and antiperspirant stick, but it's now fires a hell hot here in Texas. And I literally walked into the house after being outside for, I don't know, five minutes and just 
wringing wet. <laughs> There's nothing like that. Okay, here's the thing. If you use sweat block, um, they're wipes, and you once a week wipe the, you know, dab them under your arms, and you don't have to do it again for a week. It is amazing. Developed by a Harvard doctor who was a really sweaty mess, and he was like, why, why am I looking for somebody else to come up with a solution to this? He did. You might not suffer from excessive sweating, but I live in Texas. The faucets are on. Sweatblock, a lifesaver for every pitch-giving, hard-working, date-going, average person out there that might live in the heat. If you have teenagers, get them Sweatblock. Also, try the deodorant stick. Best I've ever tried. Get it all today for 20% off Sweatblock.com, promo code BECK, or you can find it on Amazon. How are you? <laughs> Thank you. It's Glad great to, be to have here. you. Yeah, it's Thank great you. to be here. What's your life like? I mm. mean, that's a good question. Uh, my life is good. I live a, a happy, peaceful, contented life. Um, this July, I make ten years of marriage for my, me and my wife. Nothing we have better. Three beautiful kids. Uh, we decide to homeschool, so our house is full of energy and life yeah. and noise, and um, so it's good. I can't. I, I'm so frustrated by what is taught in schools, what is taught in the culture, um, just on self-esteem. Mm. You know, you can't make it. You've been wrong. I don't care who, what color, doesn't matter. Yeah. You've been wrong. You can't make it. This is against you. Um, everything is horrible. I, I, don't, I don't know how I would go on and I, I wonder if this plays a role with our suicide rates yeah what what is there to live for to strive for mm. if you need someone else it, it i've been thinking about this um a lot this week and and i'm trying to come up with the right words to describe it and what it is i feel like the people on the left who cast black people into the role of perpetual victim Mm-hmm. and oppressed they're, they're robbing me oh yeah they're robbing me of my agency they're robbing me of dignity and self-respect or they're trying to rob me yeah um and in the same way we would recognize it conservatives recognize it when someone is accused of stolen valor right when they mm-hmm. say I'd, i i was uh you yeah. know in the the navy seals and mm-hmm. i and i killed bin laden and it's like well you were a reservist stateside thank you for your service but yeah but you, you're not what you pretend to be. What the left does, they commit acts of stolen honor. And they tell black people, no, it's, you're not responsible for yourself, for your family, your community. We are responsible. Now, they do it under the guise of um, diversity, inclusion, equity, um, of trying to help and solve racial justice issues. But it, it robs me of my ability to fend for myself. It goes everywhere and it's it's um you know the first time i saw it really uh, culture-wide was um tarp mm. the big bailout mm. no no wait you, you allow me to fail mm. if i take failure off the board 
I learn nothing. Correct. I learn nothing. Mm. And that robs me. That failure being taken away robs me for who I can be mm. if I have to rise above it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and only people in society who we accept having no responsibility for their actions are children. And, and that's what you end up doing. You, you infantilize people mm-hmm. when you say that I, right, who, the benevolent uh, person who controls all of society, I am more responsible for you and, and your family, and your children than you are for yourself. And I, I, I resent that, quite frankly. Um, I reject it and I, I have no interest in it. So if, if I see, you know, a, a, a white person or, or someone of another ethnic background, the only thing that they owe me is love, which is what the scriptures say. It's like to love one another as mm-hmm. as fellow human beings and image bearers. But other than that, I'm I'm not interested in white knights. I'd I'd rush I would much rather see um, more black fathers taking the lead in their homes than to have more white knights um, trying to to fill that trying to fill that role. So yeah, it, it's I don't I don't want anybody trying to rob me of anything. I'm trying to think of my life if there ever has been a white knight because I I wouldn't be for that. I yeah. don't want somebody riding up with a horse and saving me, Correct. except for the Lord. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right, right, right. He's the only one. Right. Which you know is is funny because we have we think that we don't have enough religion in our society, but mm. I think we have too much. Too much. You know this 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 entire woke philosophy. Black Lives Matter, all of it, Mm. that is a religion and they are high priests and you will perform what they say the ritual is Mm. or you're done. I I recently wrote a piece for The Blaze and I I said that Ibram Kendi is not just the most influential voice on race in this country. Mm -hmm. He is the most effective evangelist in this country because his worldview has been um, implemented in K through 12 education, in uh, major corporations, through social media, in every level of government, the notion that um, any disparity can be traced back to, uh, disparity between different ethnic groups can be traced back to racist policy. And and as such, there need to be affirmative steps taken in the name of anti-racism to erase those disparities. I mean, that's that's the status quo in, in our government and in our cultural institutions. And he preaches that message regardless of what people believe. And in fact, he says in his own words that racism is death and anti-racism is life. And, and the Christian will recognize that. Oh, yeah. Right. He takes the words of the scriptures that are meant for Christ. Right. So sin is death and, and life can, uh, can be found through, through Jesus Christ. And he appropriates them for his campaign. And, and I think one of the things that it actually has done for me is make me a lot more comfortable bringing my faith and public morality yes. into the public square. I don't think there's, you cannot have, at least I can't, I can't have a total encompassing and frank conversation about what's happening in the world mm-hmm. without good and evil. Correct. There's just no, there's no way to describe shout your abortion. Right. You know, right. there's no forgiveness. That is, I'm not saying the, but I'm saying that's, antichrist right. teaching right and it's the if you if you can't see it for the first time i understand yeah how the two sides you know scripture said two sides won't understand each other in those yeah. days yeah we're there and 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 what we've done in the last couple of years is remove the veneer of neutrality mm-hmm. even in the abortion debate 
some states are going to go to banning abortion after six weeks or the first time any you know fetal activity is detected and others are going to go to up until the moment of birth so the notion of viability or 20 weeks or 24 weeks or some other arbitrary standard is being uh, wiped away before our eyes and and increasingly we will see this for more issues you're either going to be on this side or that side i've been saying this for 15 years when this hits and i think we're in it now Mm -hmm. when this hits there will not be any spectators right if you say i'm not going to (laughs) choose right right. you are actually on the field you've chosen you've chosen you've chosen yeah yeah And and i think you see this in the and this is important, I think, for just the everyday citizen to realize, but also for elected officials um, or cultural influencers whose instinct is to find a third way because they don't want to be associated with one party or the next. But again, the parties could not be further apart on an issue like abortion. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember the. the I should, well, but wait, mm-hmm. hang on just a yeah, second. Yeah. I don't think Mitch McConnell gives a flying crap. Mm. I really don't. I really don't. Maybe he does. Right. The parties bother me. Individuals in the party, mm. I think, may or may not care. Mm. Somehow or another, there's such a disconnect from what I think people believe, even on the left. Come on. Nobody believes that you can kill your baby 30 days after life right okay or after birth yeah. nobody believes that unless you're a mangala right okay um nobody believes that it's a clump of cells and i could give birth to a baldy <laughs> okay it's not gonna happen right everybody knows but they're they're in denial mm. and somehow or another we've got to connect people to reality mm. And then connect the parties to reality. Yeah. And I think the Democrats in the rest of the country, maybe, don't realize what they're empowering mm. right now. Do you? Do you think you're at the person you live next door yeah. to that might have voted for Joe Biden? Do you really think that they've connected to what's really happening in their name? No. And I think part of that is because most people, even if they vote, they are not um, partisan in mm-hmm. that sense, right? right. They're, they're not um, fanatics when it comes to politics. They vote, and, and they're certainly concerned about local issues, but they don't necessarily wear the, the badge mm-hmm. in, in the same way that the hardened activists do. Mm-hmm. And those people are opening the door uh, and summoning demons that they're not going to be able to control. Right. Um, and I think you see this, and, and I said this, you know, I've said this in, in you know previous venues where, when when you hear the the abortion absolutists, that's what I call them because I I liken the moment we're into a se- second abolitionist movement, mm-hmm. and I draw direct parallels between the work of Frederick Douglass and the work of Lila Rose with live action. Amen. So so could uh-huh. spend some time on that before okay. you move on. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So, so I make that connection because I think both, you know, um, chattel slavery and abortion, um, they dismiss or deny uh, hu- human beings as image bearers. Yes. Um, they make the value of life conditional on the whims of the owner. Mm-hmm. Whoever, so whether that's slavery right. and slave owner or abortion and the mother of the child, um, they both employ euphemisms 
to to hide the barbarity of each institution. In slavery, it, it was the peculiar institution. And now we have um, reproductive justice and the woman's right to choose um, and, you know, all the other terms that they use. And both have uh, abolitionists on one side, absolutists on the other side, and accommodationists in the middle, um, both in slavery and as it relates to, to abortion. And, and here's the, the one thing I think that sort of wraps around it in some ways is that Democrats today in blue states are as rabidly pro-abortion as Democrats in southern states were pro-slavery prior to the Civil War. Um, so so that, that's where I, I draw those, um, those parallels. But in this, in this uh, uh, abolitionist movement, again, you, you're going to have to, to choose sides. And I think the, the people who want, you know, again, abortion up, on, up until birth, um, th- that's a small group of, of activists. Yeah. I think a lot of people are sort of caught in the middle because for them, the abortion debate never moves beyond the, the term a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think they understand what it is that they are doing. Um, and I think, as is the case with many issues, they won't understand until the barbarian comes and knocks on their door. Um, so if, if you have like a middle-aged woman and she's not having any more kids, she's just, again, thinking, oh, the woman should have the right to choose. But when it gets to the point where her grandchildren, let's say, let's say she's raising her grandchildren, when they are coming home and telling her, hey, granny, Gigi, Mima, my teacher told me that um, men can get pregnant. And they said, my teacher told me that anybody who thinks that there's only two sexes is a bigot. Now she's going to have to, now she's going to understand my vote put these people in power and she's going to have to deal with that. They didn't the last time the world went through this, you know, <laughs> the last time you'll the Germans did, at least mm-hmm. they started making a series of decisions. And then when you get to a certain point, mm. you feel like you can't go back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because that is going to cause you to change. Some brave ones did, but a lot of them didn't. Yeah. They just kept intentionally blinding themselves yeah. to it. Yeah. So they could forgive themselves, I guess, afterwards. Yeah. And I, and I think part of that is human nature, right? You you don't, once you make an investment, you say, well, I have to keep investing because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to lose out on, on what I've invested so far. But at a certain point, the center is not going to hold and it's clearly not holding now. Um, and people are going to have to understand that the, the culture war terminology does not go far enough. Um, I see this as a spiritual war, but even to the extent that we're talking culture war, it's not just, oh, both sides say mean things back and forth. It's, and again, to borrow, to, to look at Kendi, Kendi understands that war is about capturing territory. It's not just about firing mm. off a mean tweet. So when he has the federal government and the CDC framing the COVID response as a matter of racial equity and saying that, um, vaccines should be doled out along those lines. That's an institution that's been captured, and and he has established they've that they've all been captured. They've all been captured. Um, when when the NBA is painting Black Lives Matter, or when they have uh, on the court, or when they have the jerseys that say um, "Love Us" and BLM and Education Equity, these are all institutions that have been captured. 
the right is afraid to even say things that they know to be true because more than anything, they desire the respectability um, and they des- they desire uh, legitimacy from the left. But if we're going to make some headway, um, we're going to have to engage in, in some, some struggle. Oh, I, I think big struggle. Yeah, big, big struggle. <laughs> Throughout the whole world, the leading cause of death is abortion. In the U.S., murder has become a wholesale business since Roe versus Wade. We've killed over 63 million children. I don't care what Bette Medler says. Uh, Planned Parenthood's not killing children. What are they, killing bald eagles? Are you going to give... Yeah, that's what we should tell these people. You know what? That might be a polar bear in there. And then they never abort it. The Ministry of Preborn and Blaze Media have partnered up for a better idea. Um, rescuing 50,000 babies from abortion this year. 50,000. Preborn is a direct competition to Planned Parenthood, largest provider of free ultrasounds in the U.S. When you let a woman see her baby on ultrasound or hear the heartbeat, 80%, 80% are more likely to choose life for her baby. It is a noble goal. While the world's going to hell in a handbasket, this is something we can actually do. We can actually save children. So here's what preborn uh, does. They go into these places where the, the, the uh, highest amount of abortions are happening. And they go to these clinics and they say, hey, how about we provide free ultrasounds? And they do. Preborn centers have counseled over 450 women considering abortion. 188,000 babies have been saved. We're going to save 50,000 this year. If you'll help donate, dial pound 250. Say the keyword baby. All the money goes to buy these uh, these machines to to do it. And also uh, smaller donations just go to just provide it for free. Pound 250 keyword baby. Find out all the information at preborn.com slash Glenn. I've often thought, um, it, it, you know, Americans just want to get along. Mm-hmm. I don't want to argue. I'm so tired of arguing yeah, with people yeah. over stuff that is mm-hmm. like, what? This should have been settled, you know, a yeah, thousand years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but also, you know, I have felt that the. When I know we're going to win mm. is when there's a fleet of mm. men like you, men and women, mm. you know, Martin Luther King, you can look at any photo mm-hmm. and you see a fleet of white and a fleet of black mm-hmm. all together. It, it, it is going to take black men and women to stand up and say, don't take that. Yeah. Stand up. Yeah. Come with us. Yeah. It, it, it is going to be the black man that mm. saves America. I wow. think. Wow. I- <laughs> Uh, you disagree I, with that? No, no, no. It's not that I disagree. I, I think you are right above the target. And I, and I say that because there's a couple of things going on as it relates to our political culture. One is the use of race to hide the left's radical agenda. It's a oh, yeah. term I call chocolate-covered Marxism. <laughs> and you, you, you see it the way they talk about abortion, right? right? Abortion used to be an issue for middle class um, white women who mm-hmm. wanted to be able to go to college and Correct. Get, get a job in journalism. Now, every time they talk about abortion, it's framed as this is going, the reversal of Roe is going to hurt 
um, black women and, and women of color and poor women. Same thing with LGBT advocacy. It's when Joe Biden talks about transgenderism, it's, oh, and black trans women of color are, are more likely to be assaulted on the streets. And what they're doing is that they use our history of race mm-hmm. in a way, I, I call it the Selma syndrome, where they take the real history, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's part real history, part Stockholm syndrome. So they, they tell black folks, if you allow conservatives to get back in, they're going to take you back to what some they're going to drag like. you all back in chains. Exactly. I think is the exact quote. Exactly. And and to the extent that um, black voters um, allow that to happen and give that legitimacy and credence, we become a lot more tenderized to all different types of agendas. And then saying, yes, black liberation is dependent on us killing one third of our offspring in the womb. Yes, that is that's how we get freedom. And you're right. I think a lot of it is going to be black men um, who take who who step to the forefront and say, no, this is my family. This is my wife. These are my children. And the craziness that you guys are talking about. We're not getting down with that. And to and me, it's my God. And it's and it's and it's my God. And, and to me, um, I first know, knew that this was coming when I saw how quickly BLM, the organization, oh, yeah. was rising to prominence. Because when I first learned about Crazy. BLM, and I looked at the 13 principles. Thank you. Glenn, not a single one said police, nope. brutality, man, husband, nope. father, boy, and even their black villages principle, which you would think would say something along the lines of, it takes a village to raise a child. We're here to support mothers and fathers as they raise their children. No, it said we are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family. Yeah. That's when I knew that these people were not friendlies. These were enemies, not just enemies of the cross because of their godlessness and, and, and secularism, but enemies of me and my family. And, and I take that seriously. I always felt, I don't know, how, how old are you? Just turned 40. Just turned 40. <laughs> um, uh, so y- you may be able to answer this. I've always felt that the racism that was in my early childhood mm-hmm. was getting so much better, mm-hmm. so much better. And I think I might be the first generation that was taught Martin Luther King was right. We don't look, we look for content Mm -hmm. of character. And then my children were definitely raised that way. Mm -hmm. Were we making progress? Mm. I definitely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we were. Um, Because it feels like we were. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden they just came in, these groups, Mm -hmm. generally run by a group of very wealthy white people just took gasoline and poured it over all of us and yeah. set it on fire. Yeah. How's, how's that working? <laughs> how's that working out? I, I mean, it, it is so easy to see. Um, to me, one of the, the a, a couple of cases bring it home. One people will be familiar with. Another they won't. I'll, I'll do the familiar one first. One is Jesse Smollett. Mm-hmm. Right? C-list actor. I mean, he's okay. He was okay on, on Empire, if, if, that's your, if that's your type of show. 
But he says, you know, I was assaulted by two guys in Chicago, which was obviously well known for being MAGA country. And um, <laughs> and immediately CNN is they don't just cover it, which I think they should. Right. They, they should have covered it. But it's oh, this is this is representative of, of America in 2019. We haven't really come too, too far. And that narrative went so far and, and it just provided more evidence for the people who are prone mm-hmm. to thinking that America in 2019 is the same as America in 1819 is the same as America in 1619. Uh, and that to me, when, when the uh, demand for racism outstrips the supply, then eventually you have to start inventing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what the Justice Millette situation showed. And it showed that for the left, the left is more interested in fake hate crimes than real street crimes. Yes. Because Justice Millette got the attention of the Chicago Police Department, um, of the Obama White House. He had all of the celebrities, the comedians, everybody had his back. And even at the point where it became clear that he was making the story up, there were still people saying, well, even though it didn't happen to him, this is still representative of America in you know the 2020s. And I think that type of thing is destructive to a country in maintaining its unity. The less known cases of an eight-year-old girl named Jasmine Barnes. She was tragically shot in a Walmart parking lot in Houston. Um, the description first went out that it was a, a white male in his 40s, right? So again, if it has a racial element, it's everywhere. Bernice King, Dr. King's daughter, made tweets about this is the country we are and this, this beautiful black girl, baby. Here comes Sean King. Here comes Gabrielle Union and, and other celebrities who draw attention to this because they think it's a racial angle. Then the police caught the shooters. It was two black men, both charged with capital murder. None of those people said another word. And in fact, the white man that Sean King accused of being the shooter publicly with his over a million followers ended up tragically killing himself about seven months later. That is what racial arsonists do to a country. They have no interest in black lives. If they did, they would address the things that are most threatening black lives. I tell you, I mean, I hate to bring him up because I just think he's a loser to be able to make an argument about. But at the time before we knew everything else, Bill Cosby was destroyed because he said strong black Mm -hmm. families. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't the sex thing. Mm -hmm. They all, everybody, white, black, everybody apparently knew that about Bill Cosby. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he crossed the line of saying families and Mm -hmm. pull your pants up, Mm -hmm. he all of a sudden had to be destroyed. He became persona non grata. And that was his infamous pound cake speech. I want to say it was 2004. 50th, 50th anniversary of Brown versus Board of Ed. And you're right. That is the moment that Bill Cosby, with, even within sort of the black mainstream Democratic community, went from beloved father to persona non grata. Because what he did is, in effect, take the burden and responsibility for improving uh, the condition and social outcomes of black Americans. He took it off of the shoulders of white people and he put it onto the shoulders of black people. And that is the one thing that you cannot do in those circles, right? So I think that's why when he eventually, you know, went to prison for for his charges, they all shouted with glee because Mm -hmm. they hated him from 2004. Correct. This was just a way to get rid of him and move him off. And and that's why. And if he wouldn't have taken that position, I wonder if he would have ever 
been charged. Charged, and certainly if he, if he was charged, I mean, the, 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 the track record shows that those same people would have had his back and said, correct. they're trying to take down one of our leaders and yes. he's probably trying to buy a, a network. And, right. But because he, he didn't go along with them, they were more than willing to hang him out to dry. Yeah. So when we had the George Floyd riots, I mean, mm-hmm. one thing that is missed is I don't know a single white person that saw that video mm. and said, oh, that's great. Right. I, I'm sure there were, but I don't know a single one. We were, that was a day of uniting. Yes. It was such a uniting yes. day. Yes. And then it spun out of control. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, half the country is being called a racist because they support it when I don't, half the country wasn't supporting it. Right. We all knew that that was wrong. Then the riots. And I think at least half the country knew there are good people that mm-hmm. are actually marching, but they're not actually with BLM. Right. They're just like, hey, I want to march because my community is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then the, the, the robberies and the burning of the cities, nobody did anything. Mm. Where are we now? Just a few years later, two years later. Where, I mean... Are we the same people? Mm. Worse, better? What did we learn? I hope we're getting better. Um, I mean, 2020 was obviously with COVID and everything Mm -hmm. else. But that that summer, I think, probably red-pilled a lot of people. Because even before George Floyd was, was killed, with the COVID lockdowns, as things were starting to open up, you, you saw how the media, corporate media, would see people they assume were Trump voters out at the beach and they would harass them. Well, you're not wearing a mask. And one of the guys would say, well, neither is your cameraman, so get off my back. And then George Floyd was killed and the entire world changed. And the same people who, um, you know, fast forward to January 6th would say political violence is wrong, mm-hmm. um, destroying people's workplaces wrong. Um, subverting democracy is wrong. They made excuses as cities burned, as buildings burned, as businesses were destroyed, as people were assaulted. I, one of the most iconic images was, is a woman. She was dining. I think she might have been in Washington D.C. Yeah. And and the crowd had a pin all the way back. Right. They were shouting in her face. I think they probably wanted to say Black Lives Matter or something like that. And I, I think I mean the, the country was on the brink. It literally was burning. Um, I think things have gotten a little bit better since that you know that summer um we don't see as many statues being torn down which is good but is that because mm-hmm. the the power change i mean look at what happened in canada mm. you know they went after those guys mm-hmm. and everybody kind of just kind of went back mm-hmm. you know and like oh let's forget about that yeah um the power has changed and and now we're just starting to see the street activism uh, come up and it's not based in truth right you know it's it's seemingly just trying to ramp people up for the next election yeah so so, so I, i'd say this i think we are we are better off now than we were in the summer of 2020 um i think many of the issues around race and division still exist the mm-hmm. left obviously will exploit anything any perceived racial incident 
for their own benefit, uh, I think a couple of things that are signs of progress is that you're starting to see more conservatives. And I'm thinking particularly, you know, Governor DeSantis in Florida who are Mm -hmm. willing to say at some point, this is enough. We're, We're not doing this. So whether his the Stop Woke Act or the stuff with Disney or um, committing to funding the police or committing to funding fatherhood initiatives. I think those are all positive signs. But, and, and, and this is where I think um, we really need to, to assess where we are as a country. When President Biden, before he came in, he said he, wanted, he was running to, to save the soul of a nation. <laughs> but any nation who has its soul in the hands of politicians is already on its way to hell. Already lost. Right, they're already lost. And I think the rise of atheism and secularism um, and politics as a religion is one of the things that needs to be um, corrected as we move forward. And you know, and I know, um, you know, just like in Germany, the churches weren't destroyed mm. by the Nazis. They were destroyed by infiltration. Right. Okay. By the right. time Hitler got in, it took him six months before the churches were like, yeah, let's take that picture of Christ off the altar mm-hmm. and we'll put mm-hmm. Hitler there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the American Revolution, the churches were fighting the preachers that were making the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let them come into the church. It's mm-hmm. usually the church fights against, uh, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the people are, 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 thinking about taking on like slavery um some stand but i think our churches now are so dead yes so dead yes i mean i i've seen some you know mainline protestant churches that i think the structures will be better used as you know low-income housing or recreation centers for kids because the gospel is not being preached um the churches have completely bought into whatever the new progressive agenda is I saw a church a couple years ago that had one of its members basically host a drag queen story hour. He was reading a story, a man dressed as a woman in drag on a, on a Sunday morning. And I think th- that just goes to show that so many of these churches, again, have, have died. They are whitewashed tombs and, and there's nothing of God going on in them. But they draw on sort of the, the moral legitimacy of the Bible to and lend it to politicians who the only time they want to quote scriptures is when it serves their particular, you know, political agenda. Um, So tell me, you write about, we have to have a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. Explain to people who don't know what a biblical worldview is, because very few people, it's like, I think it's like 5% of the population now has a biblical worldview. Yeah. So, so, so when I use the term biblical worldview, for, for me, what it means is, um, analyzing any issue, politics and culture, social customs, w- public policy, new laws, through the lens of the scripture. And there's certain things in which the scripture speaks to directly, certain things not as directly. But my ideas about, you know, the nature of humanity, what is a man, what is a woman, come from Genesis, Genesis 1.27. What is a marriage, Genesis 2.24. Right. Um, what what value do children have? Is their value inherent or is their value conditional? Um, 
all of those things as it relates to economics, as it relates to education, um, the, the, the notion that parents and particularly fathers in the book of Ephesians in Ephesians six are given the task to raise up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, those are all issues that are theological issues, but they intersect with our political culture to the extent that these issues are being adjudicated on a day to day basis. Um, in the public square. So, so for me, when I talk about um, a biblical worldview, it's having my lenses, which I hope to be corrective at all times, putting on the lens of the scripture to see the, the world. That's different than people who put on the lens of politics, for instance, to see the scripture. So they, they would, again, even you know with the, the transgenderism stuff, They'll say, oh, even a Christian will say, oh, yeah, I see what Genesis 127 says, but there are people who identify or they feel in a particular way. And since God is a God of love, loving a person means affirming whatever it is that they want. That's not love. And that's how they get from one particular scripture about God being love. And they affirm all different types of things that the Bible speaks against. So, So why is that? Why is that not love? Well, it's not love because um, sometimes love is correction. Sometimes love is discipline. Um, allow anyone who's raised children knows that, I mean, your kids may want to eat, um, you know, candy. cookies and candy yeah. all day. Mm-hmm. Allowing them to do that is not love. In the same way, um, allowing them to mutilate their bodies or pump themselves full of drugs because they feel a certain discomfort with their body uh, is not love. So. So when I advocate for a biblical worldview, I'm not of the position that every American needs to be a born again believer. I'm not saying that. that, that I, would, I would love that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, as, as, a, as a Christian, I believe that the designer gets to be the definer. And I believe that this world was designed. There's no way that someone is going to, in fact, it takes more faith, quote unquote, to believe that the complexity of the world we see is just happenstance. Yeah. So, so I'm trying to use a biblical worldview to describe the world as it is. In the same way, if I was trying to describe gravity, you don't have to believe in gravity. You can say, okay, I never took physics. I don't care about gravity. Just know that when you throw the apple up in the air, it's going to come down and hit you in the head. And in the same way, if you try to subvert God's design for, for humanity, for civilizations, for the ways that man and woman interact, for how children are, are born, you're going to have problems and you're going to constantly be getting hit in the head with apples. So, you know, it's amazing to me. It, I mean, I think people would all agree the best justice system would be automatic. Mm-hmm. You do this and you pay the price. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Swift um, and certain. And, uh, and in some ways, I mean, that's the way... God set it up. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why Marxism always fails. Mm-hmm. It's going against human nature. Mm-hmm. You know, God built us to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. So when you say, no, man is not like that, mm-hmm. it's going to fail and, and kill a lot of people usually. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think you see and that. And it's not a punishment. No. It just is. Right. As I said, it's the same as if you deny gravity. Um, and, and that's why I think f- if to the extent that people talk about, you know, well, well, what should be on the conservative political agenda? For me, it's simple. It is the restoration and protection of the natural, moral, 
and social order. Nature's laws and nature's God. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's what we need because to the extent that we subvert those things, we see all of the consequences. Glenn, I'm telling you, and, I, and I've said this to people before, in 10, 15 years, we're going to have a generation of children who look back at adults today and say, why did you let me do this to myself? Amen. Yes, I told you I was uncomfortable in my body. Yes, I told you I wanted to. What to, was wrong with you? Right. You, but you were the adult. You were supposed to love me by protecting me from myself. But because in our culture, love is expressed through complete, total and unquestioning affirmation. There are adults today who at the slightest sign of a child expressing discomfort with their body, assume that that child is a, is a different sex. Right. So. And, and schools are aiding and abetting in that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're doing it behind a parent's uh, back. So as a parent, especially like parents who, who have girls, you, you send your, your, your daughter out. She likes to play basketball and get dirty with the boys. You send her to school as a tomboy. The school sends her back as a boy named Tom. And they're, t- and they're telling you that they're doing mm-hmm. it in, for her benefit. And to the extent that we've become silent on those things, we are going to have a heavy, heavy price to pay. I think we're already paying a, a higher price than any of us thought just for mm. giving trophies out to everybody, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about good ranchers. That's what I need this summer. I need a, I need a new swimsuit, one that's extra, 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 extra fat, and I need a good burger. However... Between gas and meat, I'm not sure I can afford. Oh, I'm going to throw up a little in my mouth. I'm not sure I could afford a swimsuit. Don't think about it. Don't don't you don't. I told you not to think about it. Anyway, American Wagyu burgers made from some of the best beef you've ever tasted in your life. And it's American. Good ranchers. American Wagyu raised right here in the United States. And it uh, it produces the buttery texture that all of us who love steaks crave. The burgers are individually wrapped, so you can easily pull them out, cook them on the grill or on the skillet. You can use them for other meals. And with meat prices soaring, may I suggest Good Ranchers? Because when you subscribe, you... (laughs) I don't know how they're going to stay open. You lock in your price and get $25 off of every box for the life of your subscription. I want my grandkids to keep this thing going. Your price will not change. Two pounds of free Wagyu burgers and zero inflation? What are you waiting for? This helps American ranchers and saves you money. Get both by using the promo code Glenn or uh, visit GoodRanchers.com slash Glenn. GoodRanchers.com slash Glenn. Go there now. If you look at a free market, it is... You know, when I started this, um, The Blaze, everybody said that was madness. Mm. And it probably was. In fact, it was. Mm. But I'm not risk averse. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I know if you're going to change things, you have to risk. Mm -hmm. This entire culture is teaching people don't risk. You don't want to get hurt. Mm. Don't. It might be a boo-boo. You might get COVID. You might mm. get safetyism. Mm. How is this generation, which there are no consequences mm. for anything that you do, as long as you say the right things, mm-hmm. and 
um, you get a trophy without even trying. How are they going to even understand a free market? I mean, that's a good question. I think that remains to be seen um, because we're in the middle of this right now. Right. COVID really exposed um, the left's sort of worship at the altar of safetyism. Um, now, I expose their hypocrisy as well, because in the same moment, a mayor may be saying or a governor may be saying you can't send your kids to school. You can't go out to eat to a restaurant. They were doing the very things that they told their citizens that they couldn't do. But I, like I think of it, you know, I grew up in New York as a New Yorker and New York was always a place. It was rough and tumble. It, mm-hmm. And it was the land of graffiti on the trains and beatboxing and people marching to their own beat. And I I just see the way the city has become and the people have become so docile where you have, frankly, unimpressive bureaucrats like Bill de Blasio who tell you that he he can keep you safe. He can protect you. And that in order to do that. You lived in New York. Nobody can do that. Right. 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 (laughs) You better have common sense and your wits about you. Right. And now he can't protect you from the things that he's responsible for. Right. So street crime. But he's saying he can protect you from a virus if only you would give him more power. Correct. And to see people, again, in the city I grew up in, just willingly give it away because of their fear to the point where I think just maybe a week ago, like school kids were still having to wear masks while the rest of the country is opened up. The current mayor, Eric Adams, is saying, well, we're New York, we're different, and, you know, there's two types of people. It used to be New York is different. Correct. We're the tough guy on the block. Correct. Don't mess with New York. But now they're soft. And and I think that the long COVID is really a psychological condition, right? And we're going to see the the softening of -hmm. the American citizenry, particularly in, in blue states and cities. We're going to see that. Um, the impacts of that for, for years to come. Because even now, where we, where my family lives, um, the last time I took the kids to the playground, I'd say at least 75% of the children were wearing masks. Oh my gosh. They're, they're terrified. We haven't worn masks in Texas for like two years. Yeah. We're fine. Right. Everybody's over it. I right. mean, it's, you hear or travel to other states that are red mm-hmm. um, and you're like, are blue right and you're you're like what that mm-hmm. what is this it's yeah. a different world correct correct and it's a fear-based world it is and i think the politicians who have caused that fear and anxiety quite frankly um owe their citizens an apology because now you see so. people like they they have yeah. they're anxious to even pull their masks down and and i, and I think that's we very never cool. understood mm. The people who'd come from China mm. after the bird flu or whatever it was, and were still wearing masks over here, were like, "What is right? Right? What is happening to mm. those people? Mm. We are those, those people. people now." Yeah, yeah, that's true. We are. Um, first of all, tell me what the Squire agenda is. <laughs> um, so I wrote this column about the Squire's agenda, right? Because someone online. Um, I, th- I think I, I it happened after the Super Bowl. I remember that. Um, I leveled a light critique of the. I don't think your light critique <laughs> is what people would define today as a light critique. Touché. Go ahead. Um, but 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 I talked about the the impact of hip hop culture, the wor- the worst elements of hip hop culture, yeah. which I think could be you know people like Snoop Dogg would mm-hmm. be the archetype of that. 
And I, I said, again, it was the, the show, the halftime show itself wasn't bad, but it's the impact of, you know, 30 plus years of violence and degradation and drug abuse sort of pumped into the American mainstream, but particularly like mainlined right into the black community. And, and I said something about it and somebody, you know, said something critical and they basically said, well, people like him who talk like this, they have a different agenda. And at first I was going to push back and say, well, I don't have an agenda, but I said, no, I do have an agenda. And I think one of the things as someone who's associated, you know, on, on the right as a conservative, which I never grew up thinking of myself that way. I grew up in New York, so you didn't, you didn't, I didn't think in, in those mm-hmm. terms. One of the things I think conservatives fail to do is to argue vigorously for the things that they believe. Um, they v- argue more about the things we disagree on. The Correct. Things that we need to stop. No. Correct. Flip that. Correct. So, so what I what I did in that in that piece when I talked about my agenda is is to say it's the restoration of the family. Right. Acknowledgement of God as as the, the creator of this world, this this world um, and an authority higher than government. Yeah. Um, that cult- can be, I mean, I'm in AA, just a higher power, yeah, just yeah. something bigger than you. The, correct. Correct. Um, part of it dealt directly with the issue, you know, hip hop culture and its excesses. And I remember saying something to the effect of, you know, some of the issues some of the, the images that you see in, in, in hip hop, right? The ones that people would acknowledge are degrading. My children may be exposed to those things at some point. But I said in that piece, but I'll be damned, literally, if I'm the one that feeds it to them. Mm-hmm. So for me, part of that agenda is to say, personally, and as a community, as, as, as a black American, as, a, as an American agenda, as a Christian, we have to be clear on what our standards are. And when those standards are not being met, certain things have to be put out of the household. Glenn, as, a, as, as, as someone I know familiar with your Bible, in the Old Testament, you see over and over again, when, when God either lays out a law or lays out a punishment, it would say something to the effect of, punish this person swiftly, whatever that punishment was, to, to drive mm. evil out of oh, the yeah. camp, right? Yeah. And what I want to say in my agenda is these are the things that I'm for, right? I'm, I'm for the family. I'm, I'm for um, right relationships between individuals mm-hmm. of different ethnic backgrounds. I'm, I'm for, you know, a healthy love of, of country. Um, I'm, I'm for a healthy, productive culture. I'm for the expression of public morality, um, off air, we were talking about, you know, I had a book of essays from a lot of, you know, a number of um, uh, black leaders around the turn of the century, you know, 19th century. And one of the things that is immediate to me that I notice is that even when they weren't talking about religion specifically, whether they were talking about economics, entrepreneurship, you know, the relations between black and white, all of those things had an aspect of public morality. We we are losing that because losing all of it. our losing yeah. it, <laughs> but but all of our conversations about public policy are framed with respect to materialism. This person committed a crime because they don't have, you know, enough 
X, Y, and Z. It's the resources. If they just had more resources, then they wouldn't engage in mm-hmm. criminal behavior. And you see that even within the church, um, you know, some conservative evangelicals that I follow basically make the same arguments. And I think, again, if Kenny's going to be in the public square with his false religion, I should at least be just as vigorous pressing my case for what I believe. So those are some of the things that encompass the squire's agenda. Um, When um, Joe Biden said, uh, (laughs) you ain't black if you don't vote for me. Yeah. You call that political blackness, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So what is political blackness? Yeah. uh, And what is blackness? Mm. That's a great question. So, you know, a lot of people remember, as you said, that 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 phrase, you know, if you don't know <laughs> whether most, you vote for me, the most racist thing yeah, or the other guy, then you ain't black. What a lot of people don't realize is that after the president said that and at the time he was still running for, for the office, Nicole Hannah Jones, Pulitzer Prize winner, New York Times, 1619 creator. She tweeted and then deleted. Let's not act as if we don't know the difference between racial blackness and political blackness. Um, now, I think she was criticized. But her assessment of what is, I think, was accurate because at some point, I don't know when this this took place sometime between 1954 and 2004. There's been a fusion of black racial identity and support of the Democratic Party to the point I think it began in the great society. Yeah. So, so it's not it's not just, oh, you know, black folk go 90 percent for Democrats. It's the notion that to vote for a Democrat is the black political choice to make. So political blackness is the idea um, that part of one's sort of expression of your ethnic identity is to support the Democratic Party and its agenda. And when I talked about chocolate-covered Marxism, you see that in the way they frame abortion. You see that in the way that they frame LGBT issues, even in the way that they frame climate change. It's the racialization of the entire sort of political conversation. Um, in the piece, what I did, because I believe in attribution, right? Mm. I said, I don't want to call it political blackness. I want to call it Biden blackness and let the people who believe in it own it so that they know who owns them ultimately. Mm. So when I talk about Biden blackness or Biden blacks, it's people who, who would argue, for instance, in the same breath, they'll say white people are the ultimate source of all of our oppression. They are also the ultimate source of our liberation. And if if a black conservative comes along and says, hey, guys, I think we can do some things for ourselves. People who adhere to Biden blackness will say, shut up, you white supremacist. Right. So, so the black man who says I can be self-sufficient, I have agency, I have some control over my life, as much control as my white uh, brother does that person is derided as a white supremacist. Larry Elder, Winsome mm-hmm. Sears, Condoleezza Rice, all of these people have been called white supremacists in the last year. Um, Biden blackness is also the notion that, as I said before, um, black liberation is found through killing our offspring. Um, Biden blackness is, is the notion that a school today, not 1944, today, that's 90% black, is segregated and inferior even if you don't know how the children are performing it's the notion which nicole hannah jones believes in that integration is the is the 
surest path to improve black educational outcomes. So Biden blackness is a, is a ideology that's steeped in self-loathing, in confusion, um, and an inability to properly assess the barriers to, to racial progress in, in today's America. Can we ever get to a place where, you know, I'm a, uh, one of the guys I simultaneously love and despise is mm. Theodore Roosevelt. Mm. Um, progressive, I mean, just crazy. But he wasn't, he was an early progressive, so it hadn't really gelled yet. Um, and, uh, you know, so while he's bad on eugenics, he invited Booker T to mm -hmm. have dinner with him at the yeah. White House, which was unheard of back then. Um, and the thing I love about him is his is his speech that included, um, you know, the arena and mm -hmm. and America hyphenated Americans. Mm. Do we ever get to a point that that uh, Martin Luther King talked about where I am not black or white? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's we are we we are able to see you're either self-reliant mm -hmm. or you're a slave to something yeah. and that could be to a bank you know mm -hmm. what i mean yeah i i think we can get there i'll say this. should we i think we should um i would caution conservatives in in this way sometimes and i found this over you know over my life the hardest thing in life to do is to correct what's much more common is to overcorrect. Mm -hmm. so sometimes what conservatives will do having been bombarded with decades of hearing that they're racist and race this and race that is to say, well, we should do away with race altogether. But as mm -hmm. again, as a Christian, like God made me mm -hmm. and nothing that he made, am I going to say is not good and nothing that he made. Am I going to say that acknowledging it is not good in the same way? No one would come to us and say, well, look, the, the gender wars have been going on for long enough. Let's not acknowledge gender and gender categories. Right. I think the problem with race is not that we acknowledge that you and I have different ethnic backgrounds. It's when people come in and tell us that we should impart certain value to our diff different ethnic backgrounds. Mm -hmm. That um, someone of European ancestry is either at some period of time inherently superior or inherently inferior. Same thing with someone of African ancestry. So I think to the extent that we can deracialize our common humanity that is a good thing just for holding together a, a nation right it's also a good thing for politics so for instance we talked about george floyd many people have heard of obviously everybody's heard of george floyd few people have heard of tony Timper, hmm. who a few years before was in a similar situation with the police and yep. right in what, dallas it, right? in dallas yeah yeah, yeah yeah and what happens is the racialization of policing makes it so that um, the average American doesn't even know any name of any white person who's been you know, explained. They explain that story and why people yeah. really need to know that story. So, so Tony Tempo, I think he was uh, a white man in mid 40s. I think he was having a, a psychotic or yeah. he was having a mental health yeah. um, episode. And the police came and they restrained him. And I think they, they knelt or sat on his back for about 13 minutes. And eventually he died. And at one point you can hear on their, on their 
by the cameras. They made they were making jokes that were inappropriate. Yeah, and it was bad. It was bad. The Times covered it. It did not become a national story. Nope. And actually, it didn't really come out until after George Floyd was killed. His mother didn't even know what happened to her son for a number of years. I don't think anyone was charged, but it's one of these cases in which you see inappropriate police behavior, but because Tony Temple was the wrong color victim, his story will never get any attention. So I think de-racializing some of these issues would allow us to say, okay, as a matter of public policy, as good governance, as citizens, what things do we think the state should, are under the state's authority? And I think for conservatives, and I've said this before in different venues, I want to see conservatives just as concerned about the Fourth Amendment when it comes to stop and frisk and violations of, yep. of, of civil rights in Baltimore and New York as they are with the Second Amendment. Right. Because you can't make the argument, well, I'm for stop and frisk because, I'm not. you know, <laughs> it's better for these communities. And some if you stop enough guys, you'll get some off the, the road. You can't make exceptions to God given rights. Correct. You can't. And and. And you can't pick and choose because when it's red flag laws or if the left ever said every white guy who owns an AR-15 should expect a visit from the ATF, you would howl and say, no, no, we can't do that. So I I think deracializing our political culture ultimately would serve us um, in the long run. Who are the black leaders, though, that you can really look to? Hmm. That's a good question. I think a couple come to mind. Um, one is Bob Woodson. I love him. Yeah, over the Woodson Center. But he is, I mean, you know, he was a civil rights Correct. icon in the 60s. Correct. Correct. Is, there, is there somebody, I mean, I think you are, is there somebody that is learning at the feet? You are yeah. actually learning at his I, feet. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to say that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so, so I, I, I like the way you, you framed it, right? I'll go old guard. Yeah. And then I'll talk about some of the up yeah. and coming guys. Bob Woodson, Professor Glenn Lowry, um, who's gone Thomas from Soul. right to left yeah. to right. Um, Thomas Sowell, obviously. You know, Shelby Steele, John McWhorter, Jason Riley, um, Ian Rowe, who a lot of people may not be as familiar with, who's, who ran schools in the South Bronx um, and who's really fought to... Um, rid the, the schoolhouse of that type of racial indoctrination is another person. On the younger side, um, individuals like Camille Foster, who who does a lot of work in this space and just just talking about issues in, in life, not always with such you know heavy race emphasis. Coleman Hughes, who's extremely young, he's in his twenties. Um, to the extent that I'm counted in in that mm. in that group, I I counted you know sort of a grace of God. But there are people out there, obviously, you know, Jason Whitlock, who's a, a huge voice. Um, Is it, it, are you optimistic mm-hmm. for the future? And I mean, tell me, because I'm optimistic long term, mm-hmm. because I know true principles, reality will restate itself. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to take to get there. Right, right. You know what I mean? So short term, not so much. Long term, I am. Where are yeah. you? I'm, I'm probably the same the same place. I think mean, honestly, though, ninety five percent of that I just attribute to my faith. Mm-hmm. Me too. And and mm-hmm. I say, ultimately, if if I believe the scriptures, then God is in control, and in the long run, 
he's gonna win like mm-hmm. the, the battle the 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 war is already over the battles have been won we're just in the state of going through the motions to get there could you do me a favor and yeah. it, it, it talk about this because i hear this from uh christians especially in the south that mm-hmm. where some christians believe in the rapture mm-hmm. and they're like hey you're just going to be taken up mm-hmm. i don't know if you believe in it or not i don't i wish i did <laughs> you know i wish that were true um and if it is mm-hmm. you know i'll be the first to go wow should have mm-hmm. listened to bob because he's right, gone right right um but so many people believe, well, God's got it. He mm-hmm. knows. Yeah. He's got it. No, no, no. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. He told us mm. what it's going to look like. Correct. So we can do something about it Correct. and have hope. Correct. But there's a lot of Christians who are like, yeah, well, God's got it. God's got yeah, it. And, and, and I think that hope and faith is a good thing. Yeah, he, but, he does have it. Correct. But, but it's one of those things where, you know, faith without, without works is dead. And, yeah. and when Jesus left his disciples, he, talked, he told them to go and disciple the nations, right? I think every time, uh, particularly, let's, we're talking about Christians here, speaks God's truth in the public square, whether that's, again, the nature of humanity, the nature of family, um, the nature of sin, that that a father is not to be held to account for the sins of his son and a son not for the sins of his father whenever we speak those truths and we challenge a world civil magistrates if when we challenge caesar and tell caesar what you're doing is not right that is part of us carrying out god's call in the public square i agree um but you have to to be striving correct for god's law you can't correct you can't just i mean i love this you know we're gonna have a new world well what what tell me you know it's not just we're gonna reimagine right we're gonna re what correct tell me what will work or get better what are we striving for yeah so 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 i think to the extent that that believers do that um they are um carrying out their their sacred duty and their sacred call i don't believe in the I'm I'm no more a believer in the sit back on the couch and let everything happen and God's got it sort of, you know, pessimism. I, I think that is just as illogical as if I if I was, you know, twenty years younger and say, you know what, I really desire to be married, but I'm not gonna leave the house. I'm mm-hmm. just gonna play video games. God's got me. Amen. When he's ready, he's gonna bring my wife to my door and I'll know. It's like, no, you have to be out there in in a position to meet the person that you mm-hmm. say that you want. And in the same way, we have to be out there willing to stand on and speak the truth boldly in love with grace, but without compromise. Um, and, I, and I think that's what every, certainly every believer's call is for that. But even in the, in the spirit of common grace, because the, the gender binary, you know, was not exclusive to Christians. Every person in every civilization since the beginning of time has understood what a man and what a woman is. Mm-hmm. And I've argued, particularly in an American context, we treat race as fixed and gender as fluid. And to the extent that we take the thinking of 19th century slave owners, right, around race, and since this country's history, people of discernible African descent have been called African, Negro, Black, Colored, Creole, Octoroon, quadroon, 
people I've never of heard color. Those last two people of color, right? Mm-hmm. Mixed, mixed race, um, all of these things. African American, but a woman in 42 BC was a woman. In 1492 was a woman in, in 1682 was a woman in 1982 and there's a woman in 2022. So the American desire to uphold the definitions of plantation owners and suppress the definitions of God is the ultimate act of white supremacy in, in my mind. One last question. If you could have your way, mm. Um, what would you say is the most important thing for people to do? Listening to the podcast mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. if everybody would do it, what would you say the most important thing is? Mm. That's a good question. I, I would say the most important thing is to order your life to the extent possible according to God's design. And I say this understanding that people may have different faith walks and mm-hmm, different belief mm-hmm. systems. I can only speak from what I know. Um, so for me, what that looks like is acknowledging God as creator, right? Um, acknowledge, acknowledging Christ as his son and savior. Acknowledging my need for forgiveness and my, my need to repent. And not, mm-hmm. I said this to mm-hmm. my daughter, mm-hmm. dad, uh, I mean, it's not bad to... Um, confess your privilege and I said to her I confess to God Almighty mm. not to man mm. and not in public I ask him for forgiveness and mm-hmm. I do it every day Amen. I'm not going to confess my white we have you know there's a difference <laughs> right 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 there's right, a difference right, right, right. So, so 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 getting getting that build those building blocks in order but as you again for me for me that's the cornerstone mm-hmm. my, my spiritual faith but from there it's again looking at God's order and design for humanity it is prioritizing the family so if you're a single man find you a wife marry her and have children mm-hmm. same single woman right if you have kids understand that their education is your responsibility Amen. Right. You, you may enlist the services of a school to help mm-hmm. you with that. <laughs> I had this conversation with a teacher right? that told me mm-hmm. we've got it, Mr. Right. Beck. And I said, you work for me. I don't work for you. Exactly. Exactly. So so it, it's putting those things in order because um, our, I, I like to think of society as a, as a body. We talk about the body politic. And if you were to cut us open and look inside, you would see some organs missing. Some have been atrophied. Some are in the wrong place. And what we need more than anything in our world is to put those things that God has designed back in their, their natural order. Will you come back again? Absolutely. If you'll have me. You bet. Thank you so much. Thank you. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people. 